What you're listening to right now is audio, and this particular audio exists within our range of hearing. Hopefully. Otherwise, I genuinely wonder what you've been experiencing these last few seconds. Now, we're using sound to tell stories, but when it comes to audio, there's so much more you can do. Enter Rodney Williams. So I'm Rodney Williams. I am the co-founder and chief commercial officer at Listener. You see, fresh out of college, Rodney joined Procter & Gamble, the big P&G. And after working his way up through the company, he landed on the Pampers account, one of the biggest out there. Now, there's a multiverse story here where Rodney is still at P&G and CEO, most likely. But that's not this story, because Rodney also happens to have a penchant for recognizing trends. We'll get into that more later, but there was one trend that sent Rodney down a far more interesting career path. For me, the, the, the problem was the way in which information is shared about you, the consumer, to the actual retailer there, right? You got all these coupons, you got papers, you got things to scan, you got things to tap and touch. It's so tactile. And I kind of just envision a world where you walk in and you walk out. And just like that, Listener was born. Look, I could throw a whole salad of jargon at you, but who's that helping? So I'll simplify it and say Listener uses ultrasonic sound to transfer data. Yeah, it's the stuff of sci-fi, I know. In the real world, that means paying for curbside pickup without ever rolling down your window. Actual contactless transactions, be it at the coffee shop, on the bus, or in line at a concert. Remember concerts? Rodney tells me about that journey in founding Listener and how he's been able to keep a confident eye on the future through times that would break lesser leaders. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. So layman's terms, what is Listener? In layman's terms, uh, we created a technology that sends and receives information using software and basically sound frequencies. It, it sends information in proximity to another device. So think of a few inches to a few feet. Okay. The core use case that we're trying to go out or the, that's most attractive for the technology is actually being a new payment method. So think of allowing payment experiences um, at greater distances than, than NFC or even uh, a QR code. Oh, interesting. So let me make sure I understand that. So you're using sound frequencies to potentially create a more secure payment system. Yeah. So think of payment methods, right? Um, swiping a card, um, tapping a card, tapping your phone, yep. and even scanning a QR code. I would call those like, you know, payment methods, the, the modalities used to verify who you are, your credentials, and exchange information between your device, potentially, or your card, yep. and the terminal. What we like to say is that we're the technology that's going to make those payment experiences at a further distance. So imagine doing the same thing, but you're sitting in a drive-thru. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, you're sitting in your car. Imagine you're at a curbside pickup um, yeah. where you don't have to take your phone out and tap something or scan something. So that sounds so cool and so futuristic. Um, but okay, so my gut impulse asks, like, aren't sound frequencies something that can be manipulated? Like, how secure is that? There's frequency ranges, right? And, um, and there's different spectrums. Yeah. And the, the frequency that we created actually is a digital signal, much more huh. than an audio signal or radio signal. But radio frequencies or sound frequencies, they're all frequencies. They're just in a different spectrum. Yeah. We create that digital signal um, very much like Wi-Fi is being created today. We 
um, it modulates data and demodulates data. Very similar to a radio frequency, we just are using a sound bandwidth versus a radio bandwidth. Wow, that's really cool. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your story um, because you've had a really interesting career trajectory even before P&G. So maybe we can start really early in and talk to me a little bit about your childhood and growing up and what you thought you wanted to do in the world. You know, at an early age, I decided that I wanted to be part of a C-suite. I wanted to be a leader in an organization. I, at some point, I just realized that the people that made an impact from a wealth standpoint, the people that were able to build great companies and great careers, they, they, they built companies. They became CEOs. Yeah. They became senior leadership at companies. So, you know, when I started P&G, it was very, very clear that I, I wanted to one day be a CEO. Wow. Yeah. You know? So I think as you build your career, it's important to understand what you're good at. Yeah. And and what you're not. And I think one of the, the sweet spots that I am, I, I can I, I can see opportunities that others can't. Mm -hmm. And I can I have a bit of a foresight into the industries that I dive into. Yeah. And and I use that to obviously catapult myself and my ideas and my companies. Where do you think that skill came from? Did you talk with your parents much or your family much about this growing up? How did you get this instinct? Yeah, you know, I think when I was younger, for me, um, growing up in Baltimore, I grew up in a pretty, you know, urban environment. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a it's a survival instinct in like the, the simplest form. I, I was the guy that always left the party before the fight. Yeah, I, I was not there during the fight, and not that I had like this like psychic ability, but you can see that a fight is about to happen. You're observing, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah I'm observing, and I think I just pay attention to details, and I've always been like that, and I and I sometimes. You know, my parents, and you know, you, you, how did you not get in trouble or you not see that or, you, you know, you walk by that one thing. And I said, well, to me, it was it was bound to happen <laughs> or something. And th yes, there was a chance that yeah. nothing would happen, but there was also a chance that something would. Um, but I remember the first thing I ever did when I started at Pampers is that I just went to a grocery store and just watched moms and parents shop. Oh, and I did it for hours. Yeah, I I'm not a dad. I'm still not a dad. So and 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 I and I talked to parents. I talked to my moms. I talked to I talked to any parent that would let me talk. And what I was trying yeah. to to do is I was observing and I was learning so that I can find the opportunity. All right. So you've got this um, this intuition early in, um, both for the the way I guess the market or or the world is headed, and also this drive to sort of be a C suite leader. Um, you go to, to school, you graduate, and then you go to finance, and then you go to P&G for marketing. What was the, the move into finance? Was that a pursuit for the, the C-suite? How do you see that fitting into sort of the story of where you are today? So for me, I, I had a natural ability for, for marketing. I had a natural ability to, to understand how to grow something, but I did a finance a con undergrad degree. I did economics. I did supply chain concentration at my when I went to business school. These were just filling the gaps for me. Yeah. And honestly, even when I applied to PNG, I actually applied to a, all three positions: a finance position, a mm. marketing position, and a supply chain position. Uh, to me, it was indifferent. You know, the way I kind of approached yeah. everything is that I'm a problem solver. I'm completely capable of solving any one of these problems if given the opportunity to. Yeah. So I, I think the other thing that's really interesting here is 
you you know you really built this very impressive um I'll say secure career. I mean, you started in finance, then you shifted to P&G from marketing, and it was sort of both at the cutting edge of moving P&G forward and also a very lively space. And then at what some people may have thought were sort of the peak of of your career, uh, you decide to leave the job and you decide to uh, go out on your own and start something new. Very few people do that, Rodney. And so I want to just stay here for a moment and hear from you about what that was like. Yeah, you know, I don't like uh, influence, if that makes sense. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't ask them for advice. I didn't talk to a friend. Oh, interesting. You know, I think it's, it's super important that sometimes um, you got to understand that everyone can influence your decision. And, and, and I like to call it your energy. Everyone can influence your energy. And I think it's very, very important, important. if you want to make a pure decision. And you have to, you, you have to almost think about pure energy. Um, you have to kind of get yourself to a state where you can completely analyze your options. And for me, I, I set goals for the company and the idea. And I, and, and I said, yeah. if, if I was to able to hit those goals, I would leave. Um, one of them was funding. Um, one of them was team, um, support, partnerships to go out and actually deliver. And once I kind of had that kind of foundation, it, it, was, it was a no-brainer. Um, I, I left as fast as I came. Huh. Um, and I know that's... Uh, and so I didn't tell my mom. Um, my mom found out when I had my first article in the newspaper. Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you didn't tell your mom at all? She found out through the news? She found out through the news. What was that first phone call from her like? <laughs> um, you know, you know... She, you know, the, the best thing is that I didn't, you didn't miss a beat. Huh. Um, I was still helpful to the family. Um, yeah. I didn't need anything. Um, and, and I think, I think she was extremely proud of huh. that. Right. I didn't ask her for help. You know, yeah. it was, it was much more like, wait a minute. You were just able to not only, whether it's your savings or how you think, but you were very comfortable making that decision on your own. And that, yeah. that it was a proud moment. She always says like, I became a patriarch of the family versus the way it normally is. Yeah. So the first couple of months or years into this, I would imagine that you likely put yourself into some debt um, in the early days as you're trying to grow this business. Going from kind of the steady income into the debt needed to invest in your own business, like what was that like? That can be scary for a lot of people. How did you feel in that moment? So the funny, this is new because I've never told anyone. I've gone in debt now twice. Mm. I, I'm, I'm actually just coming out of debt number two. Mm. Um, listen, if your idea is not good enough for that level of passion and effort, then maybe it's not a good idea. And I think that for me, it's a core characteristic that I need. I need to believe in it so hard, wholeheartedly that I'm willing to, to risk um, my livelihood. On yeah. it. And I completely understand I could fail. But I also understand that what I'm going to gain in that failure outweighs the, the monetary parachute or uh, cushion. And the other thing that I've always noticed, you know, I, for me, the corporate career, the alternative, yep. whether it's another startup, whatever, it's always there for someone that is capable. I um, see. You know, it's always there for someone that is capable. Yep. You know, and I look at individuals or employees that tend to struggle it's, it's a big gap between them wanting to do something and them being capable of doing something. So how do you know, though? I mean, 
because I know there, I know executives who still doubt their capability in moments and maybe have a hard time hanging on to that level of confidence all the time. What do you tell those people? How do, how should they know whether or not they've got the composition to be able to do something like this? I think when, and trust me, I, the day I stop learning and I start preaching instead of talking, mm-hmm. um, I've lost it. And I, and I probably need to start sitting on boards and do yeah. keynote speaks and just relax, you know, because you know, at that point, I'm now completely set in my way. Yeah. That, that's my capability, right? Right. Um, and, 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 and that's what made me successful at each stage of my career is that I approached it not from the ability that I know it all or I'm going to come in with the, the best practices or I got this certificate from the school that allows me to do this better than others. No, I'm going to come in. I'm going to learn faster than you. Right. Learn it all, not know it all. That's an important distinction, I think. Yep. When you're missing that passion, you, you might not want to learn it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true, so. too. That's true. <laughs> Let's talk about listener for a bit. Uh, what was it about this idea of audio-based data transfer? So I believe simple always wins. I, I believe when Bezos and, and Amazon, when he thought of everything being online and arriving at your door immediately, he was really just thinking about simplicity. Right. How do you take some of the friction out of daily life? Just take the friction out. Why yeah. is there so much friction? And friction means costs. Friction yes. means lack of security. Friction is a touch point that is unwanted. So when I looked at this technology, I felt that in, in, in the simplicity of it being software, it can live in any application. It yeah. doesn't have to be device controlled. It can live in your phone, your television, your Apple Watch, your, your every speaker, car, it can live in oh, so many true. places. Yeah, it's universal. Um, it's universal. And then that was like kind of the core basic of what attracted to me to it because I thought it could live and breathe. I think I thought there was already an ecosystem existed. Yeah. And then from a technology standpoint, what our invention needed to be was how do we make this thing secure? Huh. Um, and and, and that, was a, that was a challenge, to be honest. That was the yeah. challenge that has, that has taken us all of these years as well as uh, uh, tons and tons of IP uh, later. Yeah. So I want to get into those challenges in just a moment, but I'm curious about what were the early signs for you that you were onto something with this idea of how to simplify uh, transactions and data transfer? Yeah. You know, for me, um, you know, I tend to, we were this, you know, tiny company out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah. And within a very short amount of time, we could get into any room. Everybody wanted to talk to us. Really? From, yeah, from Samsung to, to Visa to, to Apple. I mean, you name it. Um, the goal was spot on. Yeah. This, the, the, this was a company trying to create a technology to simplify the way we shop, the way we buy, the way we enter events. All of these are, are huge market opportunities. For, for us, that was the easy part. The market demand for the simplification of what we're trying to go out and do was there. What the biggest challenge for us was not that. The biggest challenge was how do you make that a product? Right. Right. We, tend, we essentially invented a technology category called ultrasonic data transmission. Then we invented the use case. Yep. Then we invented the product. Yeah. So like it's completely built by us, the entire yeah. chain. And then we have other competitors that have spun up, but they're just following after you after right. us. I think that's got to be incredibly frustrating when you're in the moment. If you've got this really brilliant 
idea and clear purpose, but you've got to figure out how to build a revenue model around it and how to solve for things like security. Where do you begin in doing that? <laughs> so, you know, for, for me, number one, it's not too many people who have ever done that before. You know, I, I tend to like just start with, you know, one brick, the, the simplest thing that I can do today, um, this week, this quarter mm. to kind of enable that vision. Yeah. In the, in the earlier days, it was just about, it was so much about the product, right? Um, right. We have to increase security. That means we need to send more data. Why do you want to send more data? Because if we can send more data, we can encrypt it. Once we did that, it would say, okay, well, we need it to be reliable. What does reliable mean? What's reliable next? means, mm -hmm. yes. Um, and we were like literally product developing just like that. You know, nice. you know make it secure, make it reliable. Yep. Along each journey, we, we would have like a, a major partner or a customer that would be piloting it or testing it. And they would also be giving us active feedback, right? Yeah. If you could do this, if you can do that. Um, and, and, and we kind of went alongside that product development journey with a lot of strategics. Right. Um, it's, it's been tough to do it that way, as you can imagine, because the expectations of your investors may not always align to the speed of that level of product development. I'm sure. Um, and, and market analysis and listening, listening and seeing. Yeah has been what we've been doing, right? I like to think that we're, we're finally as we're as close as we've ever been. But if we nail it, it's it's huge. Yeah. Can I ask about your favorite day on the job so far? Like a moment where you just wanted to throw your arms up in the air? Favorite day on the job? Oh, man. Um, it, it almost came. I don't have a favorite day yet. It hasn't come yet. <laughs> it hasn't come yet. It hasn't right. come yet. What about the harder days on the job? The days that have made you question it or worry if we're going to make it, what does that look like? I think the hardest days is when your, your, your confidence and your ability is questioned by yeah. the people around you, right? It's one thing to yeah. question it yourself. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a conversation between you and yourself in a, in a room, right? But the, the, when, when, you, when that is questioned by investors, when it's questioned... Yeah by your team, when it's questioned by, by, by people that you believe are advocates of support. I think that those are the hardest days. Yeah. I always say that, you know, one day, obviously, I'm, I'm going to be a, a VC myself. And I'm all about extracting what someone does well and giving them mm -hmm. to only do that, right? And then you build a team around them. But yeah. what I don't want to do is question what I know they do well. That's a nice distinction. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You get what I'm saying? Totally, It's, it's, yep. it's completely counterproductive. It's completely yeah. disruptive. Um, and, and you can turn a superhero into, into a villain very, mm -hmm. very, very quickly. Um, you know, it's like, you know, questioning if Superman is strong. Right, right. Yeah. If Batman has cool tools, yeah. <laughs> I guess exactly. yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, I think that I've learned that I've done some good things. I've done some things that I could have done better. Um, and, and I'm okay understanding that. I yeah. think, um, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is that, you know, it's easy to call someone a rock star or they did all these different things or look at my career and says, oh my God, it's successful. Um, I did okay. Um, I can do better. Um, yeah. and, and I'm okay knowing that where, where my pitfalls and my flaws were. And then the same way I studied finance cause I wasn't good at finance. Right. 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm a student of the things that I, I'm bad at because I think I'm still very, very young in my career. And yeah. uh, I'm not going to let go of the ability to learn. Yeah. With Listener, I think one of the interesting things is you have the challenge of not only creating a solution, but the market too. Can you talk to us about the difficulties in approaching that and any advantages or disadvantages to being in that position where you have to build the market alongside of the solution? It's difficult. And it's really the, the number one reason it's difficult is because not too many people have done it before. And, 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 I, and I like to think of like a lot of people have an opinion of how it should be done. Right. Mm-hmm. So and I, and I don't think everything is uh, can be reapplied. But for me, you know, it was about driving mass awareness of the technology yeah. across as many use cases as possible in the beginning. It was about screaming to the market that you have this problem that you didn't know you had. Right. Right. Um, and that's interesting. That is a different type of awareness because we, were, we weren't necessarily talking about, hey, this ultrasonic. We were like, hey, retailers and financial institutions, you're losing this amount per transaction by not doing something. Right. Um, and, and for us, that was really, really important. I think once that has happened, the next stage is then to then communicate the solution. If everyone agrees that this is a big problem, everyone says right. yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at a stage now where like, contactless and COVID have just what I would call it's it, it's made the, a problem changes the whole landscape. Yeah, yeah. it overemphasized the problem. If you think about like the transactions that we were trying to focus on a year ago, it was maybe it was something that was one percent of a retailer transactions. Fast forward today, right. it's 50, 60, 70 percent of a retailer transaction. Yeah. So all of a sudden, this tiny problem that we were communicating two years ago. And last year, everyone's calling us like, we, nah, I, I got it. Problem drill. You, 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 you identified it before anyone else. Saw the fight at the party before it broke out. <laughs> exactly. So today we're, we're solution selling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a happy place to be because we're not, it's not about you know, the nuts and bolts of the technology or, or why this problem is even important. It's here's the solution. How, here's how it works. Here's how it's implemented. Right. Um, here's how you execute. Thanks, Rodney. It was it's so, I mean, it's such a cool area and you can you can see it coming together. Like I can see the impact that's gonna make in the world and in commerce and really the whole market. So thanks for uh, giving us a peek into it. Definitely. Thank you. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Music came from Tyler Litwin, and the song you're hearing now comes from Synchronize. As always, I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and stay safe out there. <laughs>